Eoch Tanuyap, Kuiget Yuans, Kuiensna. Hi, everybody. My name is Kuiget Yuans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yagalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil Nations. listening to Each for All, the Cooperative Connection on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM and online at coopradio.org. I'm Sandy Goldman. We talk a lot about safe, affordable housing on this show, as the lack of supply, ongoing rent evictions, and staggering rent hikes continue to result in people becoming displaced, homeless, or having to move further afield just to get a roof over their heads. So a few weeks ago, when I read about the Nova Scotia Cooperative Council buying up buildings to create affordable living, I knew it was time to find out more. Diane Kelderman is the longtime president and CEO of the council. Before talking about housing, I asked her about the fires burning in her province and how co-ops and credit unions have stepped up to help. Here's our discussion. Of course, been doing what they always do, uh, reach out and, uh, you know, provide relief where they can. You know, credit unions are certainly providing uh, relief on, you know, mortgages and loans and and those kinds of things. They're working with people who've lost everything to help them rebuild, whether it's, uh, you know, with lending or or a mortgage, those kinds of things, uh, or to buy a new vehicle. We've had some people lose, you know, their vehicles. Um, and likewise, uh, you know, the co-ops uh, are doing the same thing. Uh, you know, the grocery stores are opening their doors and uh, donating to the firefighters. And so, yeah, it's uh, this part of, of the country is um, is one big family. Right. So everybody reaches out and supports one another when, uh, you know, when we're in uh, times of tra- uh, tragedy. It's been a, you know, it's been a tough uh, four years, really. I mean, we went from the pandemic to uh, Fiona, the hurricane last right. September. Yeah. And now into these, uh, you know, really bizarre fires. So we've certainly had our challenges over the past few years. You know, Fiona, as far as Nova Scotia was concerned, were the effects of that largely in the Cape Breton region? No, all across the province. Oh, wow. All across the province. Yeah, I live uh, just outside of Truro in, in a more rural area. And uh, we had, you know, trees down, fences down, trees on our roof. Um, yeah. It's really been a rough a rough go, and I know we spoke to uh, friends in um, Port of Basque uh, yes. at the credit union there. I'm sorry, I can't Atlantic Edge uh, about leading edge. What, leading it. Yeah, what was going on there? And tragic. Had, what happened? Tragic. There. Yeah, that was really rough. Well, you know, with with the storms and the fires and and uh, 
I'm I'm proud to say not proud, but I mean I do believe it's linked to changing climate, global warming. Uh, what is it? Uh, what kind of initiatives are going forward around transition to cleaner energy and and mitigation uh, for communities uh, in Nova Scotia? And is the co-op involved in any of those? Yeah, uh, there's energy initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's a lot of work being done around uh, green energy. Um, you know, uh, windmills and uh, and uh, solar um, tidal. Um, so right. yeah, there's there's a there's a big push, and and interesting on all of the affordable housing that we're doing, we actually have a, a commitment for net zero uh, in terms of energy efficiency. So we're building that into either the renovations or the construction of our new housing projects and. You know, the provincial government has some new rules and regulations now that, you know, is really, if not forcing, certainly encouraging people to uh, to think about it and to retrofit their homes. So there's, uh, you know, grant and funding programs to help people turn their, um, you know, energy eating homes into more energy efficient homes. So it's a big priority for sure. I read of a renewable energy initiative on your uh, website. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about that and how the co-op's involved or what, just break it down for us what that is. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's working with um, uh, organizations and, uh, and small businesses uh, in communities across the province to look at doing just that. How do we play a role in, uh, you know, renewable energy. So one of the things we did over the past uh, year or so is we picked 10 cooperatives across the province and did an energy efficiency assessment on those. And we, you know, we hired, uh, you know, an energy consulting firm who understands this work. Uh, they went in and worked intensively with 10 of our fairly large cooperatives to look at what kinds of changes would be needed in their uh, equipment, their facilities, their procedures, their ways of operating. And now we're actually um, putting the implementation into place based on those recommendations. So in, you know, it's, it's a step-by-step -step process. So we took 10 of the fairly large ones first. And once we get those done, then we'll, you know, do another 10 and yeah. Sure. Could you tell us what some of those co-ops are? Are they actually physical buildings or uh, what What? What co-ops would you refer to? Can you give us an example of the yeah, largest sure. ones uh, that are involved in this? Yeah, sure. So one is uh, a retail co-op, so a grocery store, uh, you know, that, and a lot of our grocery stores have been around for a very long time. So a lot of their equipment would be antiquated, Sure. Uh, you know, their freezers and their heating systems and, and those kinds of things. So yeah, the, you know, the retail store, we worked with um, uh, a fishing co-op, uh, a fish plant pro uh, production facility, mm -hmm. and the same thing, you know, looking at their um, their uh, uh, production facilities, their um, freezers and containers and, you right. know, those things. So, it's, you know, it's right across the board. And as I said, we're also looking at it from, you know, the housing perspective as well, not only in our own affordable housing, but with co-op housing generally. Right. We uh, support them in becoming more energy uh, efficient. So you've mentioned affordable housing, and it is a key um, 
uh, goal, I, uh, from what I've read, uh, of the Co-op Council to create more affordable housing. This is an issue across the country. And um, I was very heartened to read what you're doing, um, buying up buildings, old buildings, and um, converting them into a safe, affordable units uh, right. for people in Nova Scotia. Tell, tell us a bit about that. I, I've read that you've gone from uh, within a short time to owning about 81 units. 86. 86. <laughs> proud of that number. Tell, yeah. us about, tell us about this initiative and sure. how, how you're doing it, because it's it's very heartening. Yeah, well, it certainly is any, uh, you know, an issue right across the country, for sure. Uh, and it's not getting any better. So it was actually two years ago during our annual planning session with the board uh, that we discussed, uh, you know, the affordable housing issue is is quite, you know, severe here. Uh, so as an organization, we said, you know, what is our role here? We believe we do have a role and that we're, that our approach is different from other kinds of, um, you know, private development and whatnot. So we committed that we were going to play a role and, and try to make a difference. So the first project, uh, we uh, acquired a motel, mm -hmm. uh, a 33 unit motel, converted it to a 36 unit affordable housing complex uh, within uh, acquiring it and doing some significant renovations. It took us about seven months. We did the renovations on time and on budget. And within seven months, we had all 36 units fully occupied and 87 people on the waiting list. Mm -hmm. And we called that uh, facility Cody's Place after Father Moses Cody, of course, who was the founder of the cooperative movement out of the Antigonish uh, movement in St. Evex. So that was our first project. Uh, then our second project, we acquired an old um, municipal administration building in downtown Picto. It's a lovely, gorgeous, three-story, fully stone uh, property that was 120 years ago, the first jail uh, oh, in, in Picto. So uh, that came on the market. So we uh, we acquired that and we're currently converting that into 15 uh, affordable housing units. Uh, and we're calling it the Stonehouse Manor because it is a fully stone building. And we love the, we love the name because it, there's nothing um, that would identify it as affordable housing, right? If you say you're living at the Stonehouse Manor, there's no stigma uh, right. related to that. Uh, then our third project was um, three different buildings uh, here in Truro, uh, 15 uh, units. Uh, that came on the market. It was owned by um, a private company out of Halifax, actually, and it came on the market. And we're seeing a trend here, Sandy, where a lot of folks, a lot of private developers and private owners are starting to divest of their properties because um, a lot of the tenants are paying below market rate and the province has instituted a rent cap that they cannot increase rent by more than uh, 2%. So a lot of the private developers are just getting out of, out of this space because uh, it's not profitable for them. Right. So these uh, three buildings, uh, 15 units came on the market and we acquired them simply to protect the affordable housing stock uh, in our community. 
they're fully occupied uh, with a, a real mix of tenants. We have, um, you know, young women uh, and children. We have immigrants. We have what we call the working poor uh, living there. Uh, and in this particular case, 12 of the 15 units are below market rent. And we did something which we're really proud of, and I think it's probably very unusual. Uh, but we had one young lady with uh, two very young children uh, living in a two-bedroom unit, and she was paying $1,650 a month uh, for her rent, which is is very high. Yeah. And because of that, she indicated to us there were some months where she would have to go to the food bank because she had to make a choice yeah. to pay the rent or or uh, or be out on the street. So we actually reduced her rent. Wow. Uh, we reduced her rent uh, down to uh, $1,200, which gave her $450 a month in her uh, in her bank account, you know, for food and to take care of her kids. So we're not aware of, uh, you know, any other landlords doing that. That would do that. Yeah. yeah. And we're a very, you know, we're a very different landlord. Uh, I mean, we're in this business for the mission, not for the for the bottom line. Obviously, it has to make business sense. I mean, you know, we have to be able to, you know, keep the, the buildings in good shape and, and pay our mortgage and all of those things. But we're certainly not you know, in it to, uh, to make a big uh, return on investment. So we work really hard with the tenants to create a sense of community. Uh, at our at our facilities. So the first thing we did, for example, when we acquired the Truro property, within two weeks, we held a tenant meeting on a Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And 10 of the 15 units attended the, uh, the community meeting. And they were just overwhelmed that the landlord would do that. Right. In fact, they didn't even know who the previous landlord was. Huh. And if they had a problem like, you know, a leaky toilet or whatever, they could be waiting six months to to get a yeah. response. So to have a landlord, you know, that they felt really cared about them and was willing to meet with them and hear their concerns, they were they were just, you know, overwhelmed. And they've become our biggest ambassadors now, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Diana. So Sorry, are these these are not housing co-ops though per se? No, these are these are units now uh, owned by the Nova Scotia Cooperative Council. As we continue to grow in this space, so we're doing our next initiative is um, uh, phase two of Cody's Place. So we're actually okay. building because we own an additional three acres of land on that property, uh, which we acquired, you know, with the motel. Uh, we're actually we're building 20 new uh, duplex units for uh, families. We have a sadly, we have a lot of seniors in our facilities yeah. and we have a lot of women leaving domestic abuse with the children. Yeah. So um, building the duplexes, which are two and three bedrooms, brand new, beautiful units, uh, you know, we'll be able to accommodate uh, more families. So that's our that's our next uh, project, which is a. That's about a $6 million project because it's developing from the ground up, right? Um, so our our goal over time, uh, truthfully, is to see if we can work with some of the tenants who are interested to become homeowners. So to actually own their unit rather than just be a lifelong renter. Hmm. So that's, that's our commitment and, and that's our goal. And some of our units are perfectly designed that way. Uh, so we're going to do some piloting around that over the next uh, next couple of years. And 
So at the moment, they're all owned by the Nova Scotia Cooperative Council, but we do have plans for, you know, a, a different, uh, different model. Diane, how are you able to finance this uh, co-op council? I mean, this is a huge undertaking and so important and making such a difference in people's lives. But how do you manage it? Uh, well, I guess like, uh, you know, every other developer, we use uh, our own equity, some of our own equity first, and then we, um, you know, get financing wherever we can get it. So, you know, we get some support from Canada Mortgage and Housing, we get some from Housing Nova Scotia, we have the credit unions who are incredibly supportive and wanting to work with us on um, you know, reasonably priced uh, mortgages, for example. Um, so yeah, it's a you know, it's a it's a combination. Now you know we're uh, the, the co-op council has been around for seventy five years, so right. it's, it has longevity. Um, and in the past, uh, you know, twenty odd years since I've been here, you know, we've been uh, you know really developing a solid financial base. And we reinvest uh, all of our retained earnings into our mission. So we've been able to use some of our own equity that leverages, uh, you know, more support. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's a combination. We like the uh, acquisition model better than the development model, simply because it's more cost efficient and more time efficient. To build from the ground up is very costly, very timely. Right. Yeah. Uh, and having access to, you know, tradespeople right now is a challenge. So, you know, the acquisitions are are perfect for us because we can do the renovations fairly quickly, you know, get what we say heads on pillows. Uh, so, for example, you know, when we say we have 15 units uh, in Truro or 36 units at Cody's Place, 15 units in Truro is home to 42 people. Yeah, fantastic. 36, 36 units in at Cody's place, uh, 72 people living there. Right. And these are not wealthy uh, communities by any means, no, are they? No, no. And um, not a lot of options for people. And you're really protecting this housing stock, which is which is so important. I mean, I don't know if a developer would come along otherwise and snap it up. It doesn't sound like uh, making very pricey condos in these communities out of these old buildings would really fly would it uh, from an investment point of view oh not no not no. from an investment point of point of view i mean if uh, you know if your if your interest is the bottom line then you're going to go to the urban markets and you're going right. to be in the you know the market rate uh, rental space which is not where we are so our commitment and and the affordability uh, criteria is that nobody should be paying more than 30% of their annual income uh, for housing. Absolutely. So, yeah. it's, so not we, the, it's not the case in so many parts of the country. I just heard a story today of a woman who was living uh, in a, a, a building uh, for many years at a very reasonable rental rate. And she's a senior. And mm -hmm. uh, the place just got bought up. And it's going to be converted and she's homeless for the first time. Her rent went up, you know, let's say from $700 to $1,700. She's on a fixed income right. and she's in her mid sixties and homeless. There's nothing yeah. for her. Um, Diane, you've spoken, I've heard the word mission a few times. Why don't mm -hmm. you spell out what the mission of the council is? Uh, well, as a, you know, as a cooperative organization, we're committed to, um, 
you know, lifting people out of poverty, uh, supporting mission-based businesses, cooperatives and social enterprises. Uh, we're committed to community ownership and, and the benefits accruing to the majority, not the few. We're committed to innovation and, you know, taking on serious systemic uh, problems. So it's about building community and building people. And that really is, uh, you know, our mission. And we do that in a in a variety of ways. So, you know, everything we do, we ask the question, uh, does it align with our mission? Right. And if the answer is yes, we proceed. If the answer is no, then we have to question why we would, uh, you know, why we, we would be uh, uh, doing that. So we had a really interesting, it's a different real estate project, but we had a really interesting uh, opportunity uh, that came to us um, almost two years ago, January. Um, the old home hardware building across just right here in the parking lot across from my office, uh, it used to be the co-op store. And for 55 of its 65 year history, it was the co-op store. And 11 years ago, the store closed and the building was sold for uh, a song, really. Um, and the, the local buyer uh, turned it into a home hardware. Well, a year and a half ago, they decided uh, they were building a brand new home hardware and the building went for sale. So we purchased it. Uh, because we wanted to bring it back into the co-op family and there was some sort of emotional attachment uh, to it. Uh, but a lot of the tenants there, in addition to the home hardware, uh, were all in the, um, uh, what I would call the healthcare and wellness space. So there's a pharmacy, there's a pediatric uh, group, there's a psychology group, there's an early uh, childhood education group. Uh, so they are all tenants. So we've turned that into what we call the co-op center, but it really is sort of a health and wellness Fabulous. space. And we're actually moving out. We're in a credit union building right now. Uh, we're actually renovating and moving our offices there um, over the summer. So that was, you know, one where we said, does this really tie into our mission? And after a lot of discussion and debate, uh, it was decided, uh, you know, that it was. Um yeah. So we look oh. at those kinds of things in terms of mission. Well, for sure, because the wellness of people is really what we're we're talking about here and yeah. uh, creating a sense of, you know, community, strong communities, resilient communities. Um, in relation to healthcare, one of the initiatives I read is this co-pharmacy, co-farm uh, prescription drug program. Tell us about that. That sounds really unique and important because um, if you don't have a drug plan or you don't have a, a benefit program, which many people don't, um, you know, drugs are expensive and uh, so and vital for good life. So tell us about uh, the partnership you've yeah, there. Yeah. So so CoFarm started. Um, oh my heavens! Probably five years ago now. There was um, uh, a company operating here uh, in Nova Scotia called Generous United. And they were a company that had a partnership with a variety of pharmacies to um, offer on a subscription basis, uh, a lower cost um, drug plan for people who didn't, as you say, didn't have their own insurance or their own uh, you know, work plan. So we partnered with them uh, and created what we call CoFarm which is basically co-op pharmacy. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And we partnered with Generous United as our back office support. So, you know, they had the connection to all the pharmacies, uh, the long list of drugs. So we didn't need to do all of that on our own again. So we partnered with them and were able to uh, offer the CoFarm program to individuals and to uh, organizations uh, across the region. And uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Federation of Cooperatives was one of the first ones to actually sign on mm-hmm. uh, and as a partner. And so they're offering this, uh, you know, throughout uh, Newfoundland and Labrador through their membership and their, uh, their uh, local pharmacies. So uh, depending on the drug itself that, uh, that you're on, your savings could be anywhere from 60 to 85%. And would I pay a premium like each month for this uh, program? It's kind of like an insurance program, isn't it? Yep, it is. Yep, you would uh, you would pay, uh, and there's there's various um, levels of the plan depending on what kinds of medications you're on. Right. So you know if you're on, uh, well, we don't. One of the things we don't provide, just simply because of the cost, are the uh, very expensive acute care drugs like cancer drugs, for right. example. Yeah. But all of the normal sort of everyday drugs, whether it's, um, uh, you know, uh, diabetes medication, hypertension, sure. birth control, uh, mood drugs, um, sure. all of those things are are covered. So you can have a, you know, a plan that's, uh, you know, $20 a month. You could have a plan that's $100 a month, right. depending on, um, you know, the, the kind of drugs you're on. And unlike other programs, there is no um, requirement for divulging your health history or having, uh, you know, tests done ahead of time. Um, you know, you just you just sign up and you go in and, and you have a membership. So it's a membership in a co-op. Right. You have a membership and you go in, you show your membership card and you get right. the you get the discounted uh, rate uh, on the drugs and the pharmacies. We had a little bit of pushback from the pharmacy uh, uh, association. So the, the umbrella, not the local pharmacies, they loved it, but the association didn't like it very much um, because they felt, um, you know, they didn't need to be uh, reducing their, their costs. The local pharmacies who are committed to their communities saw the need because they saw people coming in with a prescription and saying, you know, um, I can only buy a week's worth of my hypertension medication uh, or a couple of days worth, or they were getting their meds and they were taking only a half a pill instead of a full pill. So, you know, these uh, community minded uh, pharmacists saw a need in the community and wanted to, to be a part of doing something good, but they also saw it as a, as good for business because yeah. they were bringing in they were bringing in new customers the customers were coming in not only were they getting their prescriptions but they were buying a, you know a, a quart of milk or some bread or some pop or so they saw it as not only doing something good but also good for their business and there's been a good uptake from the community has there over the yeah, years absolutely yeah wonderful yeah, we did uh, when we launched co-farm uh, we did a big sort of social media blitz about it. Uh, and we said we were going to give out just as a, as a trial, we were going to give out a thousand uh, subscriptions um, across the province. And we thought, you know, it would take us a little bit of time, maybe, you know, a month or two to sort of get people's minds wrapped around 
this as a, as a different model. Within 24 hours, the, the thousand subscriptions were gone. Wow. So it tells you that there's a need and, and you're really helping out with that. It, it makes a big difference, as you say. Uh, and it kind of comes back to that uh, mission of the council around housing, right? No more than 30% of your income for housing. If you pay more than that, you don't have money for the drugs that you need, the food that you need for your right. family. Um, before we wrap up, uh, as you mentioned off the top, the council has been around for 75 years and uh, you're commemorating that in this year. Are you in 2023? This is the uh, well, 2024 is the official, our 75th anniversary um, in June of 2024, but we've sort of started the planning of the celebration in 2023. So we uh, commissioned a well-known journalist uh, in Atlantic Canada, Alec Bruce, to uh, write a book about the history of the Nova Scotia Cooperative Council. And he's, I think, into his eighth chapter now. And, and it's just a phenomenal story. He's, and it's, a, it's, it's not only about the history, but it's about the people and the impact. So, you know, he interviewed tenants at Cody's Place. Yeah. Our first tenant at Cody's Place was a 93-year-old lady named Hazel. Mm -hmm. Not amazing, 93, uh, living independently. Uh, so Alec has been going around the province interviewing people very much like Father Moses Cody did back in the day. Um, so we're, yeah, so we're writing this book that talks about uh, not so much the, the historical perspective, but about the current and why the work we're doing is so important and why we've really come full circle in terms of, you know, Father Moses Cody's uh, mission and dream. Um, Can you so, just spell out Father Father Cody's dream in in a nutshell? What 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 did he see and and what did he strive to do? Um, well, he was a Catholic priest, of course, uh, and an educator, and he saw uh, people being taken advantage of and manipulated. He saw um, you know uh, large corporations uh, owning everything in the community. They owned the homes that the workers lived in. They owned the grocery stores, they owned uh, the gas stations, they owned everything. So essentially they owned the workers. And Father Moses Cody said, um, you know, people should be the masters of their own destiny and they should own the means of their own production rather than relying on a middleman. So he worked to get fishermen, for example, to form a cooperative, to work together, to sell their own product, to have strength as a group rather than uh, as, you know, individuals trying to sell to a large buyer. Right. Uh, he did the same thing with, uh, you know, grocery store. Instead of people having to buy their groceries at the corporate store, um, you know, they formed a group and started their own bulk buying. So he believed that people should be the masters of their own destiny. They should own the means of their own production. And he said that they should uh, own all of the enterprises from the cradle to the grave. Wow. And that so was in had, the, sorry, Diane, that's in the 1930s, is it? That Roughly? was in the early 1900s, yeah. Oh, okay, in 1900. Yeah. And that's what's known as the anti-Ganesh movement? Movement, right, exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, so he was he was the founder of, you know, the cooperative business model, which essentially is collective ownership. Right. We own we own it uh, ourselves. So, you know, we've reached his uh, his dream. We now have daycare cooperatives and we have everything in between 
and a growing industry are funeral home cooperatives. So from the yeah. cradle to the grave. Wow. And yeah. so as you look towards the uh, celebrations and the commemorations in 2024 and the publication of this uh, book that Alec Bruce is working on, uh, just um, can you sum up what your sort of future goals are as you look to the next 75 years? What are what are you aiming for as, before we let you go? Yeah, gee, that's a that's a that's a big question. Um, you know, we want to continue to to do what we're doing. We want to continue to be responsive. We want to continue to be innovative. Uh, you know, we want to continue to grow the cooperative uh, movement, the cooperative sector, cooperative uh, enterprises, and um, you know, wherever there's a need in a community, uh, you know, we want to be there as a as a part of the uh, a part of the solution. Uh, really. And one of the things I can let you in, Sandy, on a little secret. Sure. Uh, in terms of our, uh, in terms, uh, you know, of of how we think and and our boldness, I guess, in, um, in a lot of ways. So in 2019, just before the pandemic, we hosted President Barack Obama in Halifax. Oh, wow. It I was, think I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Sold out 10,000 tickets within you know, like an hour of them going on sale. Uh, and that event actually, you know, uh, was very successful. So we used all of the proceeds of that event for our housing uh, project. Mm -hmm. So on October the 18th, which happens to be co-op week, uh, we are hosting uh, Michelle Obama. In oh, wonderful. Isn't this great? Oh, you're so, so innovative. And, right? and you're going to raise funds from that as well. Exactly. To oh, reinvest back into our mission. So, you know, we feel it's a real coup for, for us as a, when we announced President Barack was coming, uh, everybody assumed it was like the Chamber of Commerce who was bringing him here. Yeah. Like nobody believed it could be a little not-for-profit cooperative, right? So to have the most, uh, you know, respected uh, president in the world as our guest in 2019, and now the most respected first lady, back to back is a real, real coup for us. So we're pretty excited. So we're looking at October the 18th co-op week as sort of being the, the kickoff to our 75th uh, anniversary celebrations. That was Diane Kelderman, president and CEO of the Nova Scotia Cooperative Council, proudly serving that province for nearly 75 years. Thanks to my fellow cooperators for putting together this edition of Each for All the Cooperative Connection. I'm Sandy Goldman. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a cooperative week. <laughs>